and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Awesome. I've had to pee for like And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 from their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to an episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. My name is Kenny, and we actually have a melting melt of minds over here, right? We've got a lot of good knowledge to share. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, a lot more knowledge than we have. I mean, a lot of respectable people in the bourbon industry here, so I'm, I'm really excited. We've had a great conversation thus far, and I'm excited for our guests to tune in on it. Yeah, so I guess let's go ahead and introduce our guest tonight because uh, we don't really want to uh, slow this up with any kind of like bullshit intros, right? So let's start it off. So today we have Maggie Kimbrell, we have Hello. Nino Marchetti, and we have the the Veach. We have the, the famous Michael Veach on the podcast tonight. So Michael, welcome because you're a first timer here. My first time on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's only taken, you know, a year or so of just <laughs> yeah. harassing and hounding you to get on. We'll get you on. So to, tonight we are tonight at a whiskey wash dinner. Uh, we had to want to get everybody together, kind of just talk about uh, just you know, other things we've been doing, uh, the fun, the bourbon. Uh, we're at the fabulous Down One Bourbon Bar, we, we should mention, we in the speakeasy room. Yeah, yeah we, we just are. all drank copious amounts of bourbon, so everything you hear tonight is NSFW. And baby, going to be fun. And we had tons of pork. So, But even with that, so we're at Down One, and Down One has, they have their own Makers 46 blend. And it was actually Michael that said, like, you guys need to try these. And what do you want to pair them with? Go ahead and just kind of talk about, like, your bourbon They're dates, bacon wrapped dates. With their Makers house barrel. And we don't say blend. 
by the by. Yes. I don't know how you it's made a it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It's oh, a marriage. We, we batch or we mingle. Right. Technically, blue cheese stuffed dates wrapped in bacon with bourbon maple syrup for eight ninety nine. And we and had two orders, and we. I highly recommend get some of their single barrel Makers Forty Six, their house select with the dates, and try them together. It's amazing. They, they, they are good. It's match made in heaven. I once did a bourbon tasting where uh, it was a charity tasting. I went to this woman's house and did the tasting, and she had this wonderful fruit tray set out there. And she picked up, uh, uh, you know, we were comparing the bourbons with different fruits and things like that. And I tried a Old Forester signature with a very fresh peach. Ooh. And I said, Oh, this is really good. So she picks up a piece of peach and takes a bite and takes a sip of the old forester. And she looks at me and she goes, that's orgasmic. <laughs> so her husband looks at me and says, I'm going out and buying a case of peaches and a bottle of old forester. There, my <laughs> Oh, that's fabulous. So the see, dates are almost as good as the peach. Yeah, I would are, say so. I, would awesome. say I think so. we had two or three orders of those. We did. Yeah, we did. So I guess since you do a lot of bourbon tastings and you, you're able to kind of, uh, and this is actually something we talked about beforehand. So you said that makers in the 46 kind of marriage, there you said go. it's like one of the most unique things that you've ever been a part of. Kind of talk about that just a little bit because. Oh, the, the Maker 46 barrel selection is a very unique uh, experience, something that I've never uh, experienced before in the uh, barrel selection process. And I've done a lot of them. It has taken it to a new level. Hold on, before you go any farther, how many barrel selections have you done in your life? Like, do you keep do you keep like a chalkboard on your on your, I, I on your wall? I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I am on Party Mart's Bourbon Board of Directors, so I do. I'd say it's in the high dozens. He's actually done enough that he's actually built a house out of bourbon barrels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would say it's probably close to 150 bourbon barrels. Oh, wow! Yeah. In my so so talk us a little bit through the the maker selection. I mean, not don't don't go in depth, right? Because we well, talked about it before. What but makes so, it a so thousand it, and one combinations? Didn't Jane say? Yeah. Well, and actually, you know, uh, John Susher uh, came up to me afterwards. He goes, you know, they're not doing their math right because you know they have uh, uh, five different woods and you got ten different staves, so it's actually. Uh, uh, you know, like five to the tenth power, so it's more than a thousand and one selections that you could do. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. John, yeah. <laughs> but um, what it is, you have ten staves that gets put into the barrel, and they got five different woods, and you get to pick any combination that you want to do. So, you know, if you wanted to, you could make it all ten staves, one one type, or you could make two of each, or however the combinations in between you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's all based upon the different uh, flavor aspects that these different types of staves bring to the uh, to the whiskey. So which one did you pick? I got outvoted both times <laughs> I'd done it. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention the bourbon board of directors is you, Carla Carlton, and Susan Regler. Right. So I was outnumbered three to one by the women. The selection that we ended up making for Party Mart was five of the uh, the French mocha stays with three of the 49 makers 49 barrel stays with one of the uh, french curvy and one of the uh french spicy oak sounds like a fancy coffee drink it was i I mean it was a really fabulous barrel we tried it last night yes and it, it was it was very good 
uh, I personally, if I ever get a chance to go back and do this again, which I probably will next year with Party Mart, mm-hmm. I want to try one. It's like six of the French mocha and four of the American oak because the American oak's very caramelly and vanilla and mocha butterscotch mm-hmm. and mocha and caramel. Sounds like I, macchiato. I, <laughs> uh, well, 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 what I'm thinking is, you know, the, the Baby Ruth candy bar in a bottle. <laughs> Maggie, you had a really interesting story you were talking about because if anybody's out there, the word Pappy automatically, like, you get Perks blood. the ears up. Oh, yeah, yeah you're, absolutely. You, like, the, hair, out. the hair yeah. stand up, everything like that. And you had an opportunity to go and deal with the whole Pappy cigar yeah, that was thing. so that was really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things we were talking about earlier is, you know, Pappy and Co is the merchandise wing of the Old Rip Van Winkle company. And, you know, I fault them not at all for coming up with that extra revenue stream. I think it's genius because there are a lot of people out there making a lot more money on their Hell whiskey Beach than they are. Trying to make money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one of the products that they're selling is a Pappy Van Winkle barrel fermented cigar. So this is unlike anything any, anybody else is doing. It's made by Drew Estate in Nicaragua. But what he's doing is he's taking Kentucky seed, Kentucky grown tobacco, dark air curing it in Kentucky, and then barn smoking it in Kentucky. He then takes that tobacco, ships it down to St. James Parish in New Orleans. They cram 500 pounds of tobacco into a used pappy barrel, put the screw presses on it, and it starts a fermentation process. And it changes the chemical makeup of these leaves. It actually ferments, barrel ferments the leaves. So what's the angel's share to that? (laughs) (laughs) That I couldn't answer. I don't know. I didn't get that quite that technical, although maybe next time. Um, then they ship those barrels down to Nicaragua and they take that tobacco and they roll it into cigars. So this is not a whiskey flavored cigar. This is not a barrel aged cigar. This is um, a cigar where the tobacco has undergone the Perique process of fermentation, but it's not Perique tobacco. It's Kentucky tobacco that's been dark air cured and fire cured. Um, so it's unlike anything anybody else is doing, and it's not meant to pair with a whiskey necessarily, although you certainly could. It's meant to stand on its own, um, and it's meant to be a very high-end cigar because Pappy Van Winkle is known for loving his, his you know, well-made bourbon and his well-made cigars. And so this well, is yeah, definitely— Yeah, you see him on the bottle huffing a big stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's where the whole idea of Pappy Van Winkle came from was that picture of him smoking a cigar. So— with this whole Pappy craze, I mean, we've already seen that there's been counterfeit Pappy bottles. Like, how long right. do you think it's going to be until you see counterfeit Pappy cigars to go along with I mean, it? counterfeit cigars have always been a problem. Oh, and, I mean, I know people yeah. that they, they're huge Cohiba fans. Right. And they are, I've got a friend, and he every single time like somebody says, like, oh, is this a real Cohiba? And they'll send a picture to it, and he goes, "Dude, you just got scammed." Yeah, bad. yeah. And I mean, only- that's always been that's always been a big problem. I'm not aware of any such issues like that as of yet. But it is such an interesting and different product. It would be hard to counterfeit at this point. I would imagine somewhere down the line that's going to be a problem, though. You're right. Oh, I think with any any industry, it's going to be a problem, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we're we're noticing in the bourbon boom. There's counterfeit everywhere. Um, right. You can get it. Pretty much anywhere you want, right? Well, and that that's one of the things we were talking about earlier with, you know, disposing your bottles properly. That's so important right now. And places like Rewicked Candle Company are doing things, you know, legitimate reuse things 
that are taking those bottles off of the market, off of the secondary market, so they can't be refilled and sold as counterfeit. Yeah, and I think, uh, so if anybody doesn't know, you can listen to Chad on a past episode of ours, but that kind of goes into something that Nino even saw today. So Nino, kind of talk about what you saw today because you were uh, you were traveling around Kentucky because you're actually here from Portland, right? You're, <laughs> yes. you're kind of experiencing the bourbon trail, experiencing everything that's here. You're, uh, you're taking a, taking in a little bit of downtown Louisville life, but you got to see something that was kind of like, you almost kind of get taken back by a little bit, right? So I was in a city near the Buffalo Trace Distillery in a certain liquor store, and I don't want to name them just not to get them in trouble, but looking around the liquor store, I saw a group of empty bottles for sale, including a Pappy Van Winkle 20-year-old for about $60 a bottle. And I was a little floored by that. You don't you don't normally see empty whiskey bottles like that for sale in liquor stores, maybe more on eBay. But to actually see that there was a little And for an extra shocking. $30, we'll sell you whiskey to refill them and then sell it on the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most definitely. But, I mean, my time here this week has been spent checking out distilleries, hanging out with folks at those distilleries and just learning all there is to learn about the history. And God knows there's a lot of history here in Kentucky. And good thing we have a historian with us tonight. <laughs> yeah, Most some definitely. of it true. Yes. Some of it true, mostly false. Yes. <laughs> I got a chance, like I said, to walk around Buffalo Trace today with uh, Fred. He is a great tour guide there. Did basically the equivalent of an extended version of the hard hat tour. And got to see a lot of the behind-the-scenes things and just poke my head in a lot of these older Buffalo Trace buildings. So and, I, I and guess, yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably a good way to bring Michael back into this. So let's talk about a little bit the history of the Buffalo Trace Distillery, right? Because, I mean, you can you can Wikipedia in it, but, there's, but the Buffalo Trace Distillery has held many names over the years. It's been the George T. Stax Distillery. It's been all kinds no, of things. The, I mean, yeah. So, so kind of, kind of give everybody kind of a, a rundown of, of what the past of where it really began and to, to kind of what it is today of, of what Buffalo Trace is. Well, you know, that, that it's kind of funny because when Maggie was telling the story about uh, Pappy Van Winkle and the cigars, I was thinking, you know, E.H. Taylor used to buy his Cuban cigars every year. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Taylor, uh, uh, who was colonel only in the Kentucky colonel uh, fashion, he never served in the military. <laughs> right. We have to make that distinction. We yes. forget everybody's not from Kentucky. Right. But um, uh, he founded the uh, the OFC, the Old Fashioned Copper Distillery, in 1870. He had bought the uh, distillery from actually a relative of his wife. He immediately uh, started turning it into a place to where uh, visitors could come and tour the distillery. You know, he had the idea that a distillery should be a place to where people could come and see how their whiskey was made. And it should be a place of uh, uh, pristine cleanliness and uh, attractiveness. And he was really revolutionary in that Yeah, and he, he really is the father of bourbon tourism. Uh, unfortunately, he lost control of the distillery at the end of the 1870s. Uh, uh, he goes on to found the old Taylor Distillery, and he builds it once again with tourists in mind and builds it as a castle. Uh, now the Castle and Key Distillery. Uh, um, Taylor was a person who believed in quality over quantity. And that's where he fell out with the new owners uh, in the 1880s, uh, uh, the firm of Gregory and Stagg. 
uh, who bailed him out of some financial trouble at the end of the 1870s in return for control of the old OFC distillery. They believed in quantity over quality as long as they could make money at it. Can, can we back up a little bit to those financial troubles he was having? I was told today that had to do with his lobbying efforts to keep Frankfurt the capital of Kentucky. Oh, no. That wasn't until several years <laughs> okay. later. Okay. His financial problem, <laughs> his financial problem was is when he sold some of the same, the same whiskey to both Buchanan and Sons and uh, Gregory and Stagg. And I guess they didn't want to share. The, right. You know, the... <laughs> It was one of those situations at the end of the 1870s, there was a financial run on the banks. There was a lot of uh, political uncertainty because Rutherford B. Hayes was elected president, but his Democratic opponent actually won more votes. The election was thrown into uh, uh, Congress, where the Republican-controlled Congress obviously uh, controlled the election. But um, what year are we in right now? Oh, uh, <laughs> we're talking we're going, 1870s. Uh, yeah, we're like late eight, 1800s, eight, leading into the Civil War, or at, just after, after, the, after, after, after the Civil, Civil War, War. because okay. that was the, one of the big problems: is that people thought the Civil War was going to break out again because the Democrat was the the uh, uh, okay. candidate of the South. Uh, I think it was the election of 1876. E.H. Taylor just had some really bad timing on a lot of his business. Right, and there was an overproduction of whiskey at that same time and everything else. So you had a lot of financial things that added up to where he got into financial trouble so much that he actually considered running away to Peru. So how do you know you wanted to go to Peru? Like, was it in his diary? Like, how do you know? Because of his personal papers. He had letters from the, uh, uh, he was a friend with the ambassador from the United States with Peru. And (laughs) he was like, like, hey, you still have that gastro down there. And he was like, well, how much would it cost me to uh, come down there and get started over? Let's make some E.H. Taylor cigars in Peru. (laughs) There you go. Okay, so so we're there at that point in history. So how do how does it lead up into being Buffalo Trace or being George T. Stagg Distillery? Well, George T. Stagg, of course, like I said, Gregory and Stagg bailed him out. Stagg came to Kentucky and took over the uh, the business. Uh, and it was kind took of over the distillery. You know, the Gregory and Stagg are actually from originally from St. Louis, and Stagg came to Kentucky and started running the distillery. Uh, Taylor had a fallout with them, mostly with Gregory more than Stagg, but, uh, but he wasn't happy with either one of them because they both believed in quantity over quality. And he moves to a small distillery that he, he had bought years before, and his son, Jacob Swigert Taylor, had been running, and he built that up into the, uh, uh, the old Taylor distillery. Stagg ran the distillery until his death. Prohibition comes along, the distillery... Uh, quits distilling during Prohibition because everybody had to until 1928. Did they have one of the medicinal but licenses, But they did. Though? Well, Shinley had one of the medicinal licenses, okay. and they were buying their whiskey from okay. Stag. Uh, Shinley actually buys the story just before Prohibition comes to an end. Uh, they own it all the way up until a bunch of Shinley executives get together and decide that they want to uh, uh, buy the distillery and go independent in 1984. And they do that, and uh, it was actually the Ancient Age Distillery by that time. And they ran it as Age International uh, up until uh, Sazerac gained control of it uh, 
and turned it into Buffalo Trace in the late 90s. Interesting. So you might be new to this, but we're going to ask you all the dumb questions so you can give us all the very smart answers. (laughs) If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. At this point, I think it's uh, we're getting some some good information. So, I mean, what else has you got? What else, Nino? You've been here for uh, what three days now? Yes. So, <laughs> what have you seen so far that has uniquely intrigued you about Louisville or Kentucky or just bourbon in general? The bourbon salon at Oxmoor. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Being at Buffalo Trace today, I got to witness a rare event. The bottling of Van Winkle <laughs> whiskey. It was rye whiskey, though. Right. So they were bottling, I guess, what will be a summer release. Uh, that's not official confirmation. I'm just guessing, depending upon. It usually comes out right before Father's Day. Wait, a ry- wait for the Van Winkle rye? What? You're not talking about like during the 13 year, like this is when everything comes out in the fall kind of rye? It, I mean, they were bottling it now. My assumption would be they're not going to sit on those bottles for the next couple months. Oh, right. you'd be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised. They'll, they'll, Possibly, it's yeah. it's going to sit at the distributor. That's what led to the theft. Yeah. <laughs> sat on it too long. Interestingly, they had a supervisor there no. watching no. the bottling going on. You mean they don't trust those people anymore? <laughs> I. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the cool things about at least the Van Winkle line, uh, because I've actually seen it there. I, I was there actually when they were bottling uh, Pappy 20 at, at one point. It was just. I've mean, always wondered what that bulge in your jacket was that day when you left. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep it quiet. But I mean, I think it's really cool to actually kind of see because in, in this day and age when everything is so machine driven, everything's so automation driven, because uh, we've we've actually had an opportunity to go and visit Heaven Hill and we've seen their operation. We, we understand and what it knows to look at 
It's even, like a Ford I mean, factory. Oh, I mean, <laughs> even there and, uh, and Maker's Mark, that really the only thing that people do by hand there is dip in the wax, right? right. So I think I think it's really, really the neat to, really to, to kind of see what happens, right. at least in regards to um, – because it's just one of those brands. It, it might be – it is what it is. But the fact that it, those are one of the things that everything's still like hand done in regards right. to labeling that – it seems it's still very organic in nature. When I was at Buffalo Trace, besides they had two bottling lines going in their small hand uh, guided warehouse. So one was the Van Winkle Rye and the other was a Blanton's export for Japan. Ooh. And the black. It, I actually think it might have been the green. Oh, the special reserve. Okay. Yeah. And they, you know, had folks on both lines. Filling bottles, putting labels on, putting it in bo- boxes. It was all hands-on, about as old school as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not talking large-scale production there because, you know, you walk a few buildings over and mm-hmm. there's Buffalo Trace's more automated system. But, you know, to be right. on the grounds of a distillery where both happen, you yeah. know, Buffalo Trace has such a long history to begin with, is pretty fascinating watching that sort of duality happening on one campus. That's like it. Yeah, when we went to Heaven Hill, they had the huge factory line, and then they're like, and here's the card table where we hand bottle like Henry McKenna McKenna. and everyone single barrel, the Parkers. (laughs) It's like, you know, 10 by 12 table. I have to say something about this old school. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) The real old school, which I I wouldn't be surprised at all if we don't see some of the... uh, craft distillers doing it this way, you know, photographs of the women uh, bottling the whiskey from the early 1900s to where they basically, they have a copper funnel that they fill the funnel that holds one quart and then they push the button on the funnel and it leases it into the bottle. Wow. <laughs> Literally one bottle at a time. Wow. That's old school. Yeah, there you go. Now, speaking of old school, new school, I do want to give a shout out to Castle and Key. I've oh, been absolutely. there this week. and So yeah. I, I guess a good question to kind of throw at you all for that is, um, you know, everybody's very excited for this, right? Everybody's very absolutely. excited. Sure. Um, yeah, the anticipation. You know, it's, you know, we all love it, the fact that we're reviving uh, an old landmark. Right. Uh, we understand that they're going to be driving what's called the bourbon drinkers gin is one of their first kind of right. forays in fact, into it but they have botanicals planted for that already on the foundation of an old warehouse that warehouse, got torn down the first warehouse. there you go yeah. but but what else makes you like so excited for this right is it is it just is it just is because Marion barnes or is it just like marianne so, <laughs> you know it, i think what you're looking at here you know i come from a background that's tech in orientation so i've really seen how startups evolve and you know we pay a lot of attention at the whiskey wash to the craft scene and definitely what they're doing there is a craft style operation but whereas a lot of craft these days you know they're we're coming out of a garage or we're working in a little tiny renovated shoe factory or something like that what these guys are doing is sort of the ultimate distillery startup where they are renovating right an old historic distillery, one building at a time, in some cases literally having to put glass windows back into the frames of the that they fell out of and try to make it into something that not only will well, be a distillery making whiskey, but also something 
that is a tourist destination. Well, even more importantly, you know, they have to clean up generations of mess before them. 40 years plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 40 years plus of people who uh, back in the 1930s didn't realize that asbestos was a bad thing because it <laughs> right. was starting, you know, it kept people from get, catching fire. Right. You know, uh, you know they, they have a lot of that to deal with. But what they have done, you know, the landscaping alone, bringing the landscaping back to E.H. Taylor's dream and vision is fantastic. I mean, do you, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, to you, Mr. Veach, I mean, when you think it is, is really like is landscaping the most thing that like gets you excited? I mean, what's the most thing that really gets you excited about bringing old Taylor back to its its original glory? For me, actually, it does have a lot to do with the landscaping and everything, bringing it back to its original show place site. Yeah, and because I because like I, 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 I am you know right. everybody is is creating great distilleries nowadays. You know, Peerless has a great distillery, right? Uh, and I am quite sure they're going to put a great distillery back in there at the old Taylor. But the fact that they're taking paying attention to the detail and bringing. You know, even the landscape, you know, the John Karlofkas. Uh, yeah, uh, That's, it, it is it, really a big thing. I saw I saw pictures today. I was out there talking to their brand ambassador, Brett, Brett Connor, and uh, he showed me a picture of the sunken gardens. And then that warehouse that is next to the sunken gardens used to be a raised garden. So there was sunken gardens next to raised gardens right next to the castle. There were a lot of gardens out there in Taylor's time. Yeah. And there are frogs in the pools there. I saw frogs. <laughs> I saw frogs today. The thing that is Castle and Key is that they're combining the history of bourbon in, in a place like that. With Actually, the I, want, I, I, I want to correct you here. It's not just the history. It's the heritage. The heritage, yeah. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. In the new age with Marianne. They, you know, right. it, you're truly seeing a melding of the new and the old. Well, Which is, um, you know, in a land where bourbon moves slow as history evolves, you're seeing a new generation of distillers like Marianne Barnes. And we're preparing an article on what they're doing, the latest chapter of it. And, you know, this is a young and scrappy team. You know, they're not just throwing out the baby with the bathwater being like, oh, we're just going to gut this place and turn it into the Disneyland of distilleries. Right. They're really trying to carefully pay attention to the heritage of, that this place holds and to recognize themselves as the next chapter in keeping this place's history alive. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is, as you're, as you're telling this story, Brett said something to me earlier when we were out there today. And I don't know whether this is okay to say. I'm sorry, Brett, if it's not. But he said, you know, the hipsters are really making this possible. They're really making <laughs> this comeback possible because, you know, they're saving all these elements of the design. Um, you know, the original dials from the boilers and the original, um, like, control panels and you know so much of what they're using is repurposed original um it's stuff it's yeah exactly and he and I, I just thought it was so funny he's like yeah the hipsters are totally making this possible <laughs> no that being said um castle and key for a while in the old forester days literally sat with nothing but pretty much a chain fence keeping people out so if you're one of those Doing folks that job. maybe, quote, borrowed can, can, something from I have there? to make a correction. It wasn't Old Forester. It was National Distillers. National Distillers. <laughs> wow. Okay. Even better. Um, if you're one of those <laughs> folks that... Beach with, like, the, yeah, the, the history bombs. Yeah. Wait a minute. If you're one of those folks that borrowed something Facts are optional. Them, please yeah. return. Thank you. Um, you know what? And if you want to if you want to give that to me, and I will take that, and I will not disclose your name, and I will just take that and return them to them. <laughs> okay. so, so I have to tell you my first experience with Castle and Key, or Will Arvin and the owners there. 
he had actually contacted me and wanted me to come out and visit. But I'd never had a chance. Well, Janet Patton out at uh, the Lexington Herald Leader called me one day, and she says, I've got an appointment to go out to the old Taylor Distillery. Would you like to come out with me? And I said, well, I've been trying to get out there for a time, but we could never work out a date. I'd be happy to do so. So I show up there, and Janet had told Will and the the crew there uh, that I was coming and everything. So I show up there, and he has a cameraman there. Oh, dear. Well, yeah, of course. That's, when we, were, when we heard we were going to come to dinner night with Mike Vitch, we're like, we better bring our, <laughs> we better Mike, bring our all So Meech just thought we were drinking. So he was like, tonight. I hope you don't mind, but I want to film you as you go through here and talk about uh, this place at E.H. Taylor so I can show it to everybody that starts working here so they can understand the relationship. And I'm like, genius. And I'm like, Sure, if that's what you want to do. So I, I spent like the next hour and a half walking through the distillery, and every word I said was being recorded. It was just like, <laughs> sure. yeah, as you do. It. Okay, so we're reading, reaching the top. We're at, we're at 31 minutes right now, but I, I want to pose one last question. And maybe it's not even a question. It's more or less a, a thought or a pondering. So uh, in the past few weeks, there was a, there was a, a huge – I, I guess you could say there was a, there was going to be a crowdfunding campaign that was going to be going on by Jim Rutledge, and it fell short. It fell short because a few different things. There was communication errors, a few different uh, you know snafus, and um, so I kind of want to get your all's kind of takes or opinions on that. Like, what, what do you all think of of the Jim Rutledge Distillery and, and what's going to happen to it? Because at this point, I've heard a lot of people say, I mean, don't be wrong, like Jim Rutledge, he's a, he's an icon in the industry, but if he's going to start a new distillery, like. How long is it going to be till he has his first drop of real whiskey? And will he actually be around to be able to even see that day? I have a lot to say on this subject, actually. <laughs> you know, I, I talked to Jim. I need more whiskey, please. Yeah. <laughs> Another round. Another round. So, you know, I, I want to start off by saying I think that the criticisms of the crowdfunding efforts were um, maybe a little unfounded because, you know, my knee-jerk reaction to that was we don't want to have another Chip Tate situation. If we had Jim Rutledge in a Chip Tate situation, that would be, you know, very sad for a lot of people who love whiskey and love the whiskey business. Um, you know, I, I would hate to see Jim Rutledge getting into a situation where he is at the mercy of all of his investors and ends up getting booted out of his own distillery. I think that would be a travesty of the whiskey industry. Um, so, you know, I think I think maybe what happened there was it was maybe not as well thought out as it could have been. And I think if they would have, you know, if they would have put a little bit more thought into the rollout effort and especially the marketing of the crowdfunding efforts, it would have been a little bit more successful. And that would have given them the opportunity to start off without being so investor heavy on the front end. Because, you know, when you have investors, they want to return on that investment. As soon and, as possible. You know, exactly. As and soon as bourbon, possible. And that doesn't no, happen. Right. Bur the bourbon industry is very I, I capital intensive. I agree with everything Maggie says. Bourbon is a long-term investment. That's one of the big problems with the bourbon industry through the 1990s. Keeps all it, the riffraff it, out. It, <laughs> it, it became, uh, you know, a publicly traded business for the most part and stockholders want their money now not right. six years later my biggest problem with jim's efforts and you know I, I wish him great success but i wasn't willing to invest in it myself simply because he never came out with a successor yeah he's old enough he is old enough now 
that I wanted to say, okay, I'm going to start this, and this is somebody I really trust and think will, will do everything right, just like I want to do it. This is who's going to carry it on by the time, you know, 10 years from now when the business is going strong and I'm no longer able to carry on because I'm in my late 80s. Yeah. (laughs) I think what's happened with Rutledge's distillery around crowdfunding is difficult because from the tech sector perspective, when you look at how crowdfunding campaigns are played out, there's an expectation people have when they invest in it that they're going to get something. There is a certain amount of altruism where people will be like, Not a coin, not a brick. Right. Right. People really are like, yeah, I'll support it because I love the project. You will always have a certain percentage of people that do that. But the challenge is in today's crowdfunding world, like I said, people want something for what they put in. And when you look at what was available at the different reward levels, and I think Rutledge's team realized that after the fact, when they got the criticism, et cetera, it wasn't what people were expecting they would get out of a distillery. There's an expectation, I think, when people invest in a distillery that they're going to get whiskey. Right. Now, there are a lot of legal challenges around that, which have uh, proven to be difficult for other distilleries going the crowdfunding route. I understand Rutledge's desire to go this way because you definitely see him wanting to build support for his product, for his distillery. Now, the flip side to this, according to what Rutledge had said, is that the campaign did help him attract some outside investors. Now, we don't know who they are or how much that is, whether it'll be enough to carry through his project. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To fruition. Yes, Rutledge will be on Shark Tank next Friday. But, you know, as far as the long-term prognosis for his distillery, even if it does get off the ground, it's hard to say. Will he be around when his first bourbon comes out? I don't know. I hope so. He's definitely one of the legends of the industry. But it is a challenge to start a distillery as you get up there. Absolutely. Right. Don't get me wrong. You know, I wish Jim a very long and healthy life, but you know he is of an age now that you have to wonder, is he going to be around 10 years from now, 15 years from now? But I think also I'll say just that you know Rutledge is one of a number of true master distillers that have either retired in the last year or been forced out as there's been a changing of the guard at some of these distilleries. You look at things like Barton's or look at um, MGP with Greg Metz sudden departure last week. Um, I think these are guys that will for the remainder of their days do what they can to be still tied to the distillery industry because it's in their blood. It's all they know. It's all they've done. They've been doing it. They're from a generation where I got in the distillery at age 18, starting in the bottling room. Right. And now at 82, I'm the retiring master distiller. I don't know what else to do now. So right. let me go back to this because it's what I love. Right. So I'll kind of close it out and can kind of give my last thoughts on it. I think um, I think he made a very, very bold move in trying to say like, oh, we're going to try to raise almost $2 million through crowdfunding, right? Like I think when, when you look at anything that's on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or anything like that, to raise $2 million is absolutely absurd. Like yeah. it, it's just not going to happen, right? Like 
500,000, it's, it's doable. Right. right? Um, because in, in, as, as Nito kind of hinted earlier, like you have to, there's, there's a, there's just something that, that people want back in return for their money. They, yeah. they want to be able to get something and be like, yeah, I, I invested in this and I want an early product of it. Right. That's, that's kind of the thing. Like I want, I want the POCs. I, I want a chance to go and sample the barrels when they're there, all, all that sort of thing. Right. And I think, I think that might've been what they're missing, but you know, as, as we all said, uh, we, we, we all have a great deep respect for Jim and we all hope the best and whatever this is to come. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of have to just kind of see what's going to happen here in the next few years and, and how it's all going to kind of you know play out. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and we'll close out the show. So thank you again, uh, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Nino. And thank you, Mr. Michael Veach, for finally being on the podcast for the yep. first time ever. <laughs> first Hopefully time ever. we're going to get you on again. I'm going to hold you to getting it. emails from Kenny. harassing <laughs> <laughs> you. Can we get the check, please? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to Whiskey Wash for our fine dinner. Yes. <laughs> uh, so if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to us on Facebook. Uh, sorry, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, but also make sure you like us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all those great uh, social media channels. Also subscribe to us on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Bourbon Pursuit. We're crowdfunding. We need your cash. And <laughs> we'll give not, you something instantly. We'll give you stickers and koozies. Yes. You don't have to wait six years for that. <laughs> and we're not raising $2 million. <laughs> That's right. No, if you have any show suggestions, feedback, uh, comments, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, appreciate you guys coming out and uh, having us here for dinner. It was a great time. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>